There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Country rock band Pure Prairie League harmonizes into the Birchmere in Virginia tomorrow night. I spoke with longtime member Michael Riley about hits like Amy and the addition of Vince Gill. Hey, Mike, thanks so much for joining us on WTOP. My pleasure, Jason. Thanks for having me. Um, what can we expect from the show? Like, is this, is this your, one of your guys' uh, first tours since this whole COVID mess? Like, are you just now getting back out on the road? We uh, started back out um, around the 23rd of June. So this is about our eighth or ninth show. Um, uh, as a matter of fact, I'm just getting ready to go to the airport. We're playing in Nashville tomorrow at the Charlie Daniels Volunteer Jam. And then uh, then heading down to the Birchmere. Wow, rest in peace, Charlie Daniels. Are you guys going to be doing, um, you know, any Devil Went Down to Georgia or anything tributes down in Nashville? To tell you the truth, um, not to spoil a surprise, but you're in D.C., so it won't be. Um, we do a song called Pickin' to Beat the Devil, and uh, we've turned it into Pickin' to Beat the Devil Went Down to Georgia. So we're going to do the whole middle section of Charlie's song in our song, just as a tribute. Wow, that's going to be a really cool uh, mashup there. Uh, man, yeah. that's going to be really cool. Well, well, that's that's the show you're going to be doing down in, in Nashville for the tribute. But uh, what about D.C.? What all, I assume we'll, we'll hear all the hits from over the years and, and any, any new stuff you guys have done, or what's sort of the set list like? Yeah, well, it's uh, you, you know, we'll, we'll be playing all the hits and misses, and uh, <laughs> as well. As, um we've we've brought back a few tunes um from the really early days that we've never really done before songs like call me tell me from busting out and uh angel number nine from busting out and uh some other tunes like that so and they're a gas they're there's so much fun to play and then um we've got a couple of new tunes in the set that we're uh we're getting ready to record as well so it should be a good show yeah sounds like it how did the band actually come together? Like, weren't they weren't they an existing entity right before you joined? Yes, they were. As a matter of fact, the first time I saw Pure Prairie League was in uh, 1970, and they opened up a show for a band I was playing with called the Lemon Pipers, and um, uh, that was in Cincinnati. And they had just basically pretty much formed, and it was one of their first paying gigs. And I, I listened to them, and I went, "Wow, I really like this kind of stuff." And, uh, you know, two years later, I was in the band. Didn't they get the name from, I mean, Pure Prairie League? Wasn't it like a temperance union in uh, old Errol Flynn's uh, Western? Yeah, it was a movie called Dodge City made in 1939. And um, the, uh, the the drummer at the time, Tom McGrail, the guy that wrote Pickin' to Beat the Devil, by the way, was um, watching late night TV. And uh, when he saw that, he said, boy, this would be a good name for the band. <laughs> As a movie buff, that was uh, 
the year after Errol Flynn did uh, Adventures of Robin Hood, and it was directed by Michael Curtiz, who would later make Casablanca. So what a fun, a couple fun facts there. We thought it would just fit because the Omars didn't really, you know, wasn't really a roll off the tongue type of a ear catcher. <laughs> so, so when you joined in '72, do you immediately take over? Uh, I mean, I know you're the bassist, but when when do you become sort of the the de facto frontman? Well, de facto is the correct term, actually, Jason. <laughs> when, when I joined, uh, they, they had just finished the, the Bustin' Out album, and I was uh, actually rehearsing for another tour at the time when they called and asked me to join the band. So, um, uh, you know, Craig Fuller was the lead singer and the front man for the band and stuff like that, and uh, and the leader, I guess you would call it. But when he left in 73 because of draft problems, you know, I basically stepped up and uh, you know, I think it was by default and, uh, and kind of, you know, grabbed the reins and, and, uh, kept trying. You said he left because of what problems? Uh, Craig left in, uh, in 73 because of draft problems. He had, uh, filed as a conscientious objector and the judge in New York didn't want to hear it. So he threw him in, in prison. Ah, draft problems, the Vietnam War. I gotcha. Yep. Exactly. It was just it was just winding down. A, a couple of years later, the war would have been over, and uh, you might have joined the band. It's funny how ti- timing really is everything, isn't it? It sure is. You know, it's uh, it's just one of those things. But um, you know, we all we felt really bad for Craig. We go out to Springfield, Missouri, to to visit him, bring him a chessboard, and you know, his guitar and stuff like that. So. Right, right. So Craig had founded the band, I guess, in in Ohio, um, for that yeah. self titled self-titled debut in 72 but then you hook on with the band uh for that next album like you said also in 72 so sort of bang bang back to back and that one is called busting out and uh fittingly titled because you guys that's when the band really did bust out um definitely off of the the strength of that hit amy man i mean everybody i mean that's that's an all-timer song that's that's probably the song that you guys are going to be always remembered for for sure but take me remind me about the the recording of that song you i mean did you guys have a sense that it was going to be a, a hit for you no not at all you know and uh and falling in and out of love it was an unfinished song that we couldn't seem to finish up and uh so we you know it was uh our producer's idea just to combine them and uh, turn it into, you know, kind of a one whole entity and a, and a reprise. So it was interesting. Well, wasn't that, weren't they like back-to-back tracks? Like wasn't Falling Out of Love like track five and then Amy was right after, but the but Amy features the line Falling In and Out of Love. <laughs> right. Well, that was, you know, once again, a little uh, fun in the studio, but um, but they certainly weren't written together. And actually Amy was written as a harder, more rocking song. Really? But when we got studio we turned it into uh, an acoustic guitar song what's the key to doing those harmonies that song might have some of the most beautiful harmonies of any song i think i've ever heard well if, when guys get together and sing and you know that's where magic happens and it's you know i mean you you can't you just can't be brothers that sing together you know like the everly brothers and uh you know that's a certain sound that comes from them being brothers and we were just lucky enough to hit on a on a on a harmony sound and the you know and it just kind of uh it kind of worked and gelled for us and you know Mick Ronson helped out on Amy he was the uh, he was singing the high part the falsetto part on it wow and you mentioned Mick Ronson stuff one of the I think one of the Rolling Stones greatest guitarists of all times list you know <laughs> sure, but sure. um 
But uh, all right, cool. So Amy obviously was your first first big big breakout hit there. That thing that thing was massive. Um, but then you know you the later album Two Lane Highway that that title song was also you know also charted. Um, talk, talk about the recording of that one. Well, Two Lane Highway, you know, it was our first album with the uh, the newer lineup. We hired Larry Goshorn to replace Craig Fuller in 73 and then uh, by 75 we had been dropped by rca records uh, after craig left they thought the band would break up so we actually uh you know pressed on and started doing a lot of college dates we had our booking agency was the biggest college booker in the country so we started doing about 250 275 college shows a year and uh you know when you do that many shows and cram any down those college kids throats for you know, several years, it, it sort of became a classic. Right, for sure. Um, and then I know the next year for, for the album, It's the Shoe Fist, you guys did a pretty memorable cover of Buddy Holly's That'll Be the Day, uh, which I actually believe might have been, might have started as a John Wayne quote in The Searchers. <laughs> we got a lot of movie tie-ins at Western yeah, no, no today, this morning. <laughs> That'll be the day. Great movie. Yeah. But anyway, remind us, uh, what's the key to doing a, a, you know, a good cover like that? Well, uh, John Boylan, who was producing us at the time on that record, uh, actually made the suggestion, but little did we know, and here's where timing comes in, uh, he was also involved with Linda Ronstadt recording that song, and she came out with the single right when we came out with ours, and so ours, of course, got the, uh, you know, <laughs> got got the um, uh, the cold shoulder. Oh, yeah, but we loved, we loved doing the song. It was great, you know, and it was great fun to record. But uh, and I thought we did a pretty decent muscular version of it, you know. But um, but you know, Ronstadt's Ronstadt, so yeah, it's hard to compete with her. But <laughs> at least at least you have that one for your catalog that you can bust that out at concerts. Um, exactly. Cool. And then me. so that was like in '76, and then I know I guess like two years later in '78, you added uh, a member of the band that would go on to be a huge solo country artist himself, Vince Gill. Talk about when he joined the band, you know, how did that happen? And, and what did he, uh, you know, bring to help elevate your sound? Well, in 76, Vince was in a band called Mountain Smoke. It was a bluegrass band and they opened up for us uh, in Vince's hometown at uh, in Oklahoma City. And we heard them play and, you know, Vince was just, it just killed us. So we asked him to come up and sit in on a couple of songs. He played on Pick and Amy and a few other tunes. And I asked him right after the show, I said, uh, you want to join a rock and roll band? He said, no, nah, man, I'm a, I'm a grasser. I'm a bluegrass player. So I said, well, if you're ever interested in playing some rock and roll, you know, uh, come find me. So two years later in 78, we were auditioning uh, guitar players and singers because the gosh, the Goshorn brothers had just left the band and um, was right after the live album. And so we, uh, um, you know, we were auditioning people in L.A., and this guy shows up, and, you know, he he played a few tunes, but it just wasn't really happening. But uh, he was a friend of Vince's, and Vince came along with him because he remembers, you know, playing with us that night in Oklahoma City a couple of years prior. And uh, so I said, all right, you know, the, the auditions for the day are over. I said, Vince, you want to just stick around for a little while and maybe jam? He says, well, I've got my guitar in the car. And so we wound up playing for four hours. And then I, wow. said, again, uh, now do you want to play some rock and roll? He says, yes, I do. I'm in. So that's how <laughs> it's Wow, that's, that's wild. 
What was it like, uh, not to mess with the chronology here, because I do want to get back to, you know, your, your 80s albums, but really quick while you're on the subject of Vince, what was it like watching him spread his wings and, and um, you know, become such a huge country artist? I mean, did you did you always suspect deep down that, wow, this guy's voice is like, is heavenly and he he's he's bound to break off <laughs> at some point. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, you know, that talent like that is a God-given gift and it's just unmistakable and um you know, we weren't thinking while he was in the band that uh you know, oh yeah, one day he's going to uh he's going to want to bolt, but you know, the, the the Pure Prairie League has always been a springboard for a lot of musicians, you know, and um uh we've been pretty lucky to get the good ones. And so it was just great watching Vince's uh you know, Genesis, and then starting out as a songwriter, and uh, and uh, he was a brilliant player. So, I mean, we we just had a gas having him in the band and, and playing shows and doing records. Um, and he's always, you know, when Vince is interviewed these days, he's always very gracious about, you know, mentioning his days in Pure Prairie League and, and basically crediting us for giving him his start in the rock and roll and, and real professional music business. I mean, you you guys absolutely did. Did you one final thing on on Vince before we bring it back around? Did you um, do you have a favorite Vince Gill song? There are several, but uh, he um, he wrote a song called "A Lifetime of Nighttime," which we still do in the set now uh, nice. about a blind kid that he was talking to after a show one night. And um, and then there's an instrumental song that he did for his mother called Jereen, and I always love that. So. Um, but you know Vince was uh Vince Vince was spreading his wings as a songwriter and you know obviously he's done pretty well with it. Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, it, it it's almost too many to even name. I mean, go rest on that mountain will bring you to tears and he can do an upbeat one like, you know, give me one more last chance. It, 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 he he's pretty incredible. All right, cool. Well, yeah. well go, going back to, you know, back, you know, rewinding a little bit to back <laughs> back after he joined you guys there initially. So in the '80s, uh, your album "Firing Up" had had a couple hits. You got "I Can't Stop the Feeling," "I'm Almost Ready," but uh, tell me about. I guess the biggest one probably was "Let Me Love You Tonight." Talk about. I mean, why do you think that one worked so well? It uh, once again, I think it just fit the times. Um, you know, uh, the big disco scare finally ended, and um, the fever broke. <laughs> yeah, in the late '70s. That's very good, Jason. Uh, so. Um, you know, and we had signed with Casablanca Records uh, after RCA finally let us go. Uh, David Sanborn's saxophone track didn't hurt anything, and it was a really good pop song written by our rhythm guitar player, Jeff uh, Wilson. And, um, you know, it was just one of those things that uh, it worked, and we got lucky. Well, no, are you kidding me? We got lucky because we we the fans. We we were the lucky ones. <laughs> um Cool, and then I know you followed up with something in the night. It was the, I guess, the next album the next year, and you had a couple hits on that. Your mind tonight, and I guess the biggest one was probably still right here in my heart. Any memories of of how you guys came up with that one? Well, once again, that was a Jeff Wilson song, and um, uh, you know, boy, he was a heck of a songwriter. Um, but uh, you know, and that was a that was also a top ten song. So you know, let me love you tonight went to number four on the content on the on the pop charts and then uh number one on the adult contemporary charts and then let me or, or the still right here in my heart was uh, went to number seven so we were pretty lucky to have a couple of top 10 hits in the you know in a two-year span right right for sure 
well, I mean, we could be here probably all day if we keep talking about all your albums. I do appreciate you, you joining us. And um, I guess just sort of uh, in in closing, um, you know, how, how does how does the the lineup sort of look today? I know, I I think Fuller like reprised the band like sometime in like the '90s or something, but. Um, where does the state of the band stand today in terms of the lineup? You know, who, who do you got, who will be on stage with you there at the Birchman? Well, uh, the, uh, the lead guitar player singer is Donnie Lee Clark. He's been with us 15 plus years. Uh, Scott Thompson, the drummer has been with us 10 plus years. Um, John David Call, of course, the, uh, the, you know, founding member and original steel guitar player. He's been back with us for 10, 12 years. And, uh, uh, we added a keyboard player three years ago named Randy Harper, who's just a great, great addition to the band, a monster keyboard player and good singer and just a great guy. So, uh, you know, the five-piece lineup is really working for us, and the band's hitting on all eight cylinders, and, uh, it's we're, you know, we're having a great time, especially after being off for 16 months. For sure. Well, it'll be good to see you back out making live music uh, live in person again. Um, again, everybody, it's... Pure Prairie League uh, at the Birchmere uh, on August 19th. So get your tickets now on birchmere.com. Hey, thanks so much for, for doing this. I really appreciate sort of the, the walk down memory lane here with, with Pure Prairie League. Well, it's a pleasure to do it, and it's uh, you know nice that people you know want to have the real information. And since I was there for the whole damn thing, <laughs> I, I kind of remember pretty much of it. When you say real information, you worry, are, are you saying that there's like other apocryphal stories or, or you know, what? other things going around about the band that you want to clarify half the time? Look at Wikipedia and uh, all music and, you know, all, you know, there's a bunch of different sites that tend to write their own quote unquote biographies of us. And, you know, I see so many stuff. I got, I got tired of, you know, trying to contact people and, and say, hey, by the way, this is actually the way it was, and I don't know where you got your information, but well, hopefully this interview straightened some of that that stuff out. What what's what would you say before we run? What would you say is like the biggest misconception that that you hope that other interviewers you know make sure they they get it right? Well, a lot of people still think that Vince is in the band or Craig, so you know. I just fired up Wikipedia. Yeah, your name is mentioned. It's like buried, man. Like, come on. You you took over in 72, and you were there for the whole run. Yeah, well, you know, like I said, it's Wikipedia. And I don't know where they get their information, but it's, you know, it's it kind of amuses me. Well, you and, and you know, I think the hardcore fans, are, you know, they know the true story. Well, especially they will after listening to this. So we, we appreciate you getting the facts out there, sir. We, it, it was really, it was a treat to chat with you. My pleasure, Jason. Thanks for having me on. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time.
I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.